You're listening to the Shared Value Podcast, proudly brought to you by the Shared Value Project and the Shared Value Initiative. It's a place where leaders from around the world talk about the business of solving social issues. In this episode, we explore shared value opportunities in the insurance sector when Romana James from IAG talks to Dan Baum from the Redwoods Group. I'm joined here by Dan Baum. Lovely to have you join us um, here with the Shared Value Project at the Shared Value Leaders Summit um, in New York. And we've been um, doing some interviews with people that have um, presented or given us some interesting insights as part of this summit. And Dan was really interested in the Redwood story and um, as the Chief Strategy Officer for Redwood, would love to hear a little bit about who Redwood is and I guess where your business currently operates. And then we might explore a little bit more how shared value can play a role in your strategy. Sure, and I'm, I'm grateful to have the chance to chat with you all too. Uh, so Redwoods is a mission-driven insurer of child-serving nonprofits. So we insure YMCAs and after-school programs, summer camps, uh, organizations like those. Uh, which gives us just terrific data about how kids and people in those programs can get hurt, that we then work really closely with our customers with to help them understand what the trends look like and where the biggest areas of risk are so we can help them still accomplish their impact on the people they serve but do so in the safest way possible. Uh, so we insure about half of the YMCAs in the U.S., uh, along with a number, number of other nonprofits here and are working to expand into Canada shortly. Uh, but through that, we've been able to drive down the number of drownings that happen at YMCA's by 84% year over year, uh, and the number of incidents of child sexual abuse by 65%. So we think shared value has a huge amount of potential in insurance because of the direct correlation between the benefit to us and the benefit to the world of doing the work that makes community safer. Fantastic. And it was great to hear then some of those the social benefits of the work that you've done, driving down drowning rates, for example. Have you got equivalent um, business value benefits? How do you make that link between the social outcome and the business benefit? And you've got metrics that you can report on as well. Yeah, so I think the beauty of insurance is those two things are really closely aligned. So if you look just at drownings and YMCAs, it used to be that that happened about 13 times a year back when Redwood started. Uh, Through our work with our customers, we've been able to reduce that down to an average now of one or two. And what that means is that every year there are $3 million worth of drowning claims that we don't have to pay because those things don't happen. So we're not in it to you know, save money, but we are in it to keep people safe. But when we do that, it supports our business as well. I work with a general insurer, um, IAG in Australia, and, and that model of how you um, almost thinking about it from an insur- assurance point of view as well as an insurance point of view mm-hmm. is really critical and how you help preparedness and prevention to avoid in the first place. What I've found really interesting, because we often, we, we work in you know, in general insurance in quite a large play, and by that I mean we work across home and motor, and so we've got you know, right. very, very big. Um, we're in you know, probably 30 to 40% of Australians will have insurance with us in some way. Um, I'm interested with your model, which is more of a niche play, and you, in, in your talk today, it was really interesting, you talked about um, disruption and how insurance is one of the industries probably most ripe for disruption and that particularly with digital, there's a real opportunity there for disruptors to enter the market. And, and I loved how you talked about your strategy helps you manage that risk. Could you talk us through that? Sure. So I think, as you're saying, insurance most folks agree, is, is waiting on disruption happening. It's a, a big industry that I think we still do business way too similarly to the way we used to a long time ago, even as the world has really shifted around us. Um, and so for us, as we've looked at this coming wave, 
What's been interesting is we've seen that it's headed in different directions than we are because the digital disruptors are focused on uh, large kind of high volume market segments where products are pretty standardized so that big data and digital platforms can really be game changers there. Uh, but where our shared value lens takes us are to markets that cover some of our biggest social problems. And as a result, lead us to more complex customers, smaller market segments, and really a much higher level of risk a lot of the time. And those things make those markets difficult, but they also make them unlikely places for someone to launch a new digital insurance solution. Uh, so we found that at least early on, our choice of markets is going to provide us some initial protection from this wave of disruption and allow us to generate relatively protected revenue because it's unlikely that uh, a digital insurer is going to go after YMCAs first. And as a result of that, be able to understand what's changing about the industry and have the time and resources to adapt so that we can be able to succeed in the new reality. There's a f fantastic example of shared value um, core to your strategy. I'm interested, is there a risk though, rather than from the digital disruptors, could that come from insurers like ourselves as IAG or others that apply shared value thinking and so start to look for those social challenges and opportunities? So is your competition perhaps more likely from other insurers rather than from that digital disruption that might happen for that broader insurance industry? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think for us, our sense is that these really difficult markets are the safer place to be as the world around us is going through such a big change. And I think shared value requires a different set of skills and capabilities to be able to succeed in those markets because you have to make them safe. Uh, when Redwood started, YMCA's in the US had a very hard time getting insurance because they had kids and they had pools and the results were so poor that most insurers didn't want to be involved. Uh, through some of our work to actually make that market a safer place, we've seen many larger insurers start to dive back into it. Um, but they have a lot of catching up to do to yeah. our ability to work with our customers. And we build, which I think is also protection against disruption, really close and really strong customer relationships because we're training their staff, we're providing them with resources and support and guidance. And so they've come to expect that from their carrier. And so if a traditional or larger insurer is going to dive into that space, they're going to have to learn a different way of operating. So I think shared value for us in terms of business strategy is really valuable in helping us to understand what it takes to succeed in these markets so that we can have uh, some competitive advantage if others follow us into them. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point is a shared value often it can be the first or the leader into an opportunity or a market and you get a leader's advantage and you clearly have outlined how you can then maintain that because of that first mover advantage. And I think for those of us practicing shared value, not just making that first move, but then how do you maintain that competitive advantage over time as others enter your market is quite an interesting challenge for all of us. Dan, I'm really interested in your US based at the moment and mm -hmm. you mentioned that you're, you're heading into Canada, so you're expanding across the sort of American continent. Um, any plans to go internationally and, and what could that look like? Yeah, so we're moving slowly. Uh, we became a part of a global family of companies, Fairfax Financial Holdings in 2015 which for the first time has given us the opportunity to create impact outside the US. Uh, but where we are at our best is when we understand our customers' operations just as well as they do, so that we can come in and be able to help them understand how to do the good work that they're doing in, the, in a safer way. Um, and so that takes real deep expertise and experience working with customer groups, which is why we focus pretty narrowly. Yep. Uh, and what we've been learning in Canada so far is that even the same organization across our northern border uh, operates in a very different context in a very different kind of way. Uh, so we're hopeful that we'll have opportunities to continue growing our impacts beyond Canada around the world, 
uh, but it will probably happen relatively slowly for us to make sure that we can do justice to our model and be able to support our customers in the way that they need. And I think that's a good insight, thinking about shared value, is, is the, um, the depth of, of partnering and relationships that it requires. So a traditional way of um, doing business, more transactional, um, you're working in an area where it requires good, strong relationships, not just with your client or customer, but probably actually then with other organisations that, for example, can help reduce the number of child deaths um, from drowning. Can you give us some insights into who you partner with outside of your customers to make um, safer worlds for them? Yeah, and I think that's a really important insight for um, how to deal with disruption as well because we retain about 95% of our customers year over year, which is basically unheard of huge. in the U.S. Uh, I think the average in the industry is closer to 70. So it builds these strong connections which help us to be able to continue to partner with our customers over time. Um, but the, one of the things we've talked about throughout the summit is the importance of linking philanthropy to the core of the business. And what we've been able to do is to take our understandings from our data about how sexual abuse, how drowning, and incidents like that can happen, and understand them at their root so that we can bring together partners to work on addressing those things in a different way. Uh, so we've been partnering actually with our customers in a lot of ways uh, to do additional work on prevention out in their community. Uh, so the YMCA's in the US, we brought them together and supported them along with some prevention education partners who teach communities and teach adults how to recognize the warning signs of sexual abuse and what we all can do to take action to protect the kids in our lives. Uh, and they've trained over 100,000 people on that across the country. They launch a national awareness campaign every April, April during our Child Abuse Prevention Month, which I think Australia's YMCA's are going to pick up there um, later on this year. And so through our connection with our partners, we're able to, on the philanthropic side, bring together other folks who do this work and then connect them with our customers who are in so many communities who serve so many people and use their relationships in their communities to advance this change even further. Fantastic. Dan, one of the things that we've been working on, and this has been for a number of years because it's in many ways quite complex, and we've heard at the summit over the last couple of days the importance of measuring and increasingly moving from measuring inputs, how much money we spend or the number of initiatives we run, mm -hmm. to outcomes and impact. So how many deaths did we avoid because of the work we've done versus how much money did we invest in helping reduce those deaths? Could you give us some, some insights to your measurement journey and how you go about not just defining the outcomes measures that are going to be relevant from a social and a business point of view, but how do you then report those metrics to your executive and your board and, and to your key stakeholders? Yeah, so uh, measuring prevention is tricky yep. uh, because no one comes up to you and introduces themselves as the person who is going to drown tomorrow, but <laughs> we had changed the way the pool <laughs> operates. Um, and particularly around the issue of sexual abuse, the majority of kids don't tell anyone in their first year, and about half of them never tell anyone other than a friend or a close family member. So we don't always have great data on what's not happening, but we can compare year, year over year and see that there is a downward trend in our incidents, which we focus on and look at pretty actively. Um, I think then beyond that, we think about what affects the root causes of those issues and how can we measure uh, preventive strategies that address those. So around swimming, we sponsor access to swim lessons for kids and communities in the U.S. who would have a hard time getting access to those otherwise. And we're able to track the number of kids who learn to swim and based on the information reported back to us, uh, the number of them who actually complete the program and develop the skills they need to keep themselves safe. 
in addition to that, we also are a certified B Corporation and think about and look at the impact throughout our entire organization. So certified B Corps have to state in their bylaws that they exist for the benefit of all their stakeholders, so the community and their employees, not just the shareholders in the bottom line. And, <clears throat> sorry, I get audited on those outcomes every couple of years. So every year we do a social audit where we bring in someone from the outside to assess our operations and confirm whether or not we're doing what we say we're doing and reporting back on those metrics in our annual report each year. Fantastic that you've raised B Corps. I was um, at a lunch with Michael Porter and Mark Kramer um, yesterday and there was a conversation about some of the um, models and, and approaches outside of shared value that are in play. And the conversation, um, in fact, the way Michael and Mark talked about this was that B Corps, whilst they might play an important role, they've tended to be smaller organisations. They're not sure if that's going to happen at scale. I'm just a bit controversially, I, I sort of disagree with that. I think mm -hmm. B Corps do play an important role and being purpose-led and enabling a, a governance structure and a business model that can help you deliver on that purpose is quite important. Could you, what's your thoughts on that, on uh, B Corp versus shared value? Are they mutually exclusive or are they important cohabitants? So I don't think they're mutually exclusive and I think they reinforce one another. I think doing shared value work leads you to outcomes that uh, B Corps are assessed on and allow you to succeed on that assessment, which continues to get harder and harder every year, so you have to be doing really good work. Um, and I think being a B Corp is a way of telling the story about the shared value work that you do, which is more and more well-known brands uh, kind of join that movement, become an important differentiator and a way of communicating that to customers and other stakeholders. Um, and I think it's an interesting thing to watch in terms of scale because B Lab is the nonprofit that certifies B Corporations here in the U.S. Um, and one of the things they're working on is they've gotten a lot of interest from multinational public companies, but the assessment as it's structured is difficult for them. They just live in a different kind of world and under a different set of circumstances, so they're working actively with folks like Unilever, folks at really large companies who are working to find a way to make this work for them, that it would still provide a really high bar for them to meet, but to do so in a way that is accessible for them differently from how it is now. So we're hopeful and excited that there may be more very large companies who are joining this movement soon, which I think will just continue to create momentum for this way of doing business. Yeah, we had in Australia um, a very um, sort of respectful, large not-for-profit not leader who I was really, um, I liked the way he described this, which was historically you've thought of the not-for-profit or sort of NGO sector as being the for-purpose sector, mm -hmm. and you've thought of the business sector as being the for-profit sector. He sort of explains, well, actually, I would leave both of those definitions at the door and instead, are we a for-purpose organisation? Mm. Um, and, and regardless of whether you drive profit or, or a non-profit entity, if you're a purpose-led organisation, then that shouldn't matter. Um, but there will be governance structures and programs and initiatives that um, help enable organisations to do these things effectively. So thank you for sharing your experiences of B Corp and shared value. Um, so overall, uh, fantastic to hear from you. Um, it's been great insights that we're getting from the Leaders Summit here in New York. Dan, if you ever come down to Australia, and it sounds like you may have an opportunity in the market down there, when we would welcome you at the Shared Value Project and IAG as well. So thank you very much, Dan. Thank you so much. It's been great to chat with you. For more information on Shared Value, visit sharedvalue.org or sharedvalue.org.au or join the conversation on Twitter or LinkedIn with hashtag shared value.